me how often I hear people who sit in church week after week after week after week. And they think that as long as you just say some things about Jesus and, and, and sin, you've, you've, you've done all you need to do. If they get that far. Today, the love God predominates so much that most people spend their time just telling sinners, but they don't tell them they're sinners because they don't want to, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, bum them out. They don't want to bring them down. They don't want to be, quote, negative. They just tell them God loves them. And if you'll just believe that somehow in this love, Jesus died on a cross and rose again, well, you're a Christian. And brother, there are evangelicals that say, that's all you have to tell people. Don't tell them all this other stuff. Don't tell them about God's wrath. That's, that's Old Testament. Brethren, simply telling men that God is loved does not bring them to understand that He will judge them for their crimes against heaven. It does not make them see any need for a Savior. Oh, they might love the idea that God loves them. Who wouldn't? God loves you. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so glad to hear that. I might have suspected such. No, men need to understand that they're in trouble. In deep, dark, desperate, hopeless trouble in and of themselves. And until they realize their condition, they will never want the Savior. The Gospel will never be good news. The Word of God reveals that the hearts of men are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. They are dead in trespasses and sins. And we must tell them so. I'm not saying that, you know, you go to work tomorrow and you stand up on the table in the lunchroom and begin shouting and foaming at everyone. This is not what I'm talking about. But brethren, whether you are quietly talking with someone in their living room, whether you're out on the street dealing with their hearts, whether you're standing in a pulpit, whether you're in a Bible study, what men have to understand is that they are sinful. They don't just commit sins. They are sinful. And in that state, unable to change their condition. The prophet Jeremiah does in fact say, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jesus Himself, the one who is love, said that from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. And we don't want to tell people they're defiled. You know why? Because we're still so filled with pride, we want them to like us. And when we tell them, you're lost, and you have a wicked heart, they don't generally cotton to you. We want to be popular. Therefore, we make Christianity relevant. We cut off all the parts that might be offensive. And we try to make it look nice and pretty for people. And in so doing, 
we help damn them. Because the gospel is a message about God and His holiness and righteousness and men in their sins. And God will damn sinful men. Oh, we don't like that fire and brimstone preaching. You better tell men they're in trouble with God. You find any words you need to case them in, but until you have communicated to them that they are lost and without hope outside of God's good news, you're not evangelizing. You're preaching the gospel. What was John doing? Repent! Repent of your... Oh, I don't want to say sins. This might bother some of you. Some of your mistakes. That's the way we think. He said, no. Come down here and repent of your sins. And as they were going under the water, they were confessing their rebellions. Brethren, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We must tell men about their sins. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't hesitate. In John chapter 4, verse 18, He said to the Samaritan woman, never seen her before, He said, Thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. That's right, ma'am. When I said, go get your husband, and you said, I don't have one, you were telling me the truth. But now, let me give you the truth behind what you said. You're an immoral woman. He wasn't ungracious. He wasn't hateful. But he nailed her right where she was. And that fellow you're shacked up with is not your husband. No, he didn't use those words. That is exactly what it means. On the day of Pentecost, Peter confronted the Jews with their sins. He didn't stand before them and say, you know, this would probably bother some of you. But you know the fellow that was, well, they kind of killed him, some people killed him. Well, he was really God's son. And we would really like it if you would, if you would believe that. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked upon his brethren and he said, Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. I don't know if he was whispering. I don't know if he was talking in a normal voice. I don't know if he was shouting at the top of his lungs. But he said, you killed him. Now, you know, today, you know the way we think. Uh, uh, okay, Peter, back down a little bit. You're, uh, you're, you're shooting with too broad a blast here. You're painting with too broad a brush. Come on now. What you, let's go back and let's rewrite that message just a little bit better. Make it a little more palatable. Some of you had a hand in the, the, the nasty goings on here. He just looked at the town and said, You killed him! He let the Holy Ghost move in the hearts that He wanted to. Where the message lands, the Holy Ghost will drive it home. Brethren, in the temple, 
Peter said, The God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and kill the Prince of Life. Now, brother, he was obviously not attempting to be popular. But he was attempting to evangelize. He was attempting to tell men the truth about God and about men in their sin. And as long as they are in their sin, the wrath of God abides upon them. In Antioch, Paul clearly declared that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Are you a sinner? Oh, that's a funny word today. Oh, people think that's sideshow stuff. That's old-time religion. The first and last woman preacher I heard got up in the pulpit and said, Oh, when I was a child, I grew up and I heard, used to hear a song, Give Me That Old-Time Religion, It's Good Enough For Me. And the title of her sermon was, The Old-Time Religion Isn't Good Enough For Me. And then she began to, to say how all these old thoughts and these old thinking, uh, this psychological mess that we make of people by telling them they're guilty before God. She said, oh, I went to summer camp and they made me feel so bad about myself. And I'd go home and I'd wrestle and I'd agonize. But I realize, Jesus is love. He wouldn't make me feel like that. But men do with their false notions. Brethren, the gospel is about sin. And if you don't deal with men and their sins, you are not preaching the gospel. Let me press on. The gospel is a biblical and historical message about Jesus Christ. Jesus said, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. What an incredible statement. The 39 books of the Old Testament are about me. Jesus said, in all that you just witnessed, in my being hung upon the cross and rising again the third day, the Old Testament taught that. Yes, it was in types and it was in shadows. But brethren, the apostles taught the gospel in the first generation from the Old Testament scriptures. There was no New Testament. When Paul declared the good news, it's described this way. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. The Gospel is a biblical, it is an historical message. Paul went in and he opened up the Scriptures, and this was the Old Testament Scriptures, and he preached that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. He is the one that all the prophecies of the Old Testament point toward. He's the fulfillment of God's glorious promise to Abraham. Over and over again, Christ and the apostles 
begin their preaching with, as it is written, as it is written. Brethren, we're not just bringing one little interesting uh, story to throw into the big religious soup that we live in today. Well, here's, here's our story, and you know, here's the, the Buddhist story and the Muslim story and all the rest. Here's our little story. No, we are preaching the Word of God and the history of God among men. We preach from the Scriptures and we bring that message and we are not to alter it. It says, Likewise, Acts chapter 28, 23, When they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, into Paul's lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. Remember, Christ came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. This gospel is all about God's rule through Jesus Christ. Do you know who that person is? Mark began his gospel as we've looked. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And how does he follow it? As it is written in the prophets. The God-man. You have no gospel. Unless at the heart of your gospel is the God-man. The second person of the Holy Trinity who became flesh to keep the laws that we have not kept. Who died upon the cross of Calvary bearing in His body all of the sins of God's people on the third day being raised again from the dead. Now listen carefully or you're going to come away thinking I'm saying something that I'm not. Many today seem to reduce the gospel to something like this. Jesus loves you and died for your sins. If you'll believe that, you'll be saved. There are a lot of people that would go, what's the matter with that? Well, missing here is the central doctrine that was preached every time they preached the gospel, which was the resurrection. It isn't just that a Savior died. It's that He rose again. Read the book of Acts. Over and over and over central to what they're saying is the glories of the resurrection. We often are almost like the church of, of Rome. You walk into one of their places and here's a picture of Jesus on the cross. No empty tombs hanging on the wall. Just a body hanging on a cross. He's not there. He is ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. And while we preach His death upon the cross as the payment for men's sin, we point them to believe not simply that He died, but that He is the living Lord at the right hand of the Father. And that is preached over and over and over again. The resurrection is central to preaching the gospel. I'm not saying that we denigrate His death upon the cross, but simply to go there and to just say, death, pay for sins, that's it, believe on Him, you are leaving out central truth of the gospel. I serve a risen Savior. 
First of all, neither Jesus nor the apostles began any of their recorded sermons saying, Jesus loves you and died for you. Take the book and read it. What do we see? An announcement. A proclamation. God has provided a Savior for sinners. He is Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. He died upon the cross of Calvary and was raised again for the sins of His people. Gospel preaching is never expressed in the terms of, well, God loves you. Now, I grew up with that. I'm not attacking the people that say it. I'm attacking what they're saying on the strength of the Word of God. We will never truly understand the love of God until we understand the wrath of God. What did Jesus come for? What did He die upon the cross for? If it is not directly tied to the issue of just condemnation from God. Brethren, if you think that this is my own imagination, Paul writes in his glorious gospel epistle to the Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. And then he immediately declares... God loves you and has a wonderful purpose for you. No, that's not what he said. He says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And one of the reasons our churches are so ineffective today is because they're filled with people that do not believe this. They do not believe in the sovereign creator. They do not believe that men are dead in their trespasses and sins. So we have to paint Christ as the great psychologist, the nice buddy, the friend down the block, the nice teacher. The, uh, I mean, there's so many things that we have to paint him as instead of a savior from the wrath of God and sin. The day of Pentecost, Peter, filled with the Spirit, says, Him have ye taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. It's a historical message. It's not just a biblical one. And you will see it in, we don't have time to go there this morning, but 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, after telling us that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and was raised again according to the Scriptures, he says, and he was seen. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, then above five hundred, finally me, he says. We're not giving people a nice fairy tale. We are telling them historical fact. The Son of God died for sinners. And He was raised again that those who repent of their sins and believe might have everlasting life. As we are out of time, 
this morning. I will simply conclude with this. This fourth thing, the gospel is a biblical and historical message about repentance and faith. Brethren, it's a message about God and His holiness and His, His holy character. It is a message about men and their sin and their desperate need for a Savior. It is a message about Jesus Christ who is the good news, who is the glorious triumphant message that men need to hear because He, as the eternal Son of God, became flesh and died upon the cross and was raised again the third day and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Those who, number four, repent of their sins and believe on Him will be saved. It is an announcement and it is a summons. It is a proclamation and it is a call. We declare the truth of Jesus Christ and then we call men to repent of their sins and believe on Him. And we do it for the glory of God and the conversion of sinners to Jesus Christ. Well, the meaning of the preaching of the Gospel then is wrapped up this way and I will go through this quickly. If you have understood what I'm saying, if you've understood the Scriptures that we've looked at, that we've got a message about God, who He is and what He's done, a message about men and their sin and their desperate need, and a message about Christ, who He is and what He has done to satisfy the Father, and repenting and believing this truth, then you know it's not preaching the Gospel to say, let Jesus come into your heart. That's not preaching the Gospel. It's not preaching the Gospel to say, give your heart to Jesus. Christ never said this. The Apostles never said this. This is like giving God a cesspool. Your heart is so vile and so wicked, giving your heart to Him what you need is a new heart. Amen. It's not preaching the gospel when we say, well, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. In the context of preaching the gospel, yes, God is love. Yes, God has a sovereign purpose in all things. But He's not a frustrated God who goes, oh, I've got such a nice plan for this one and He hates me and mm, lost that one. We are not preaching the gospel when we say God's done all He can do. The rest is up to you. We're not preaching the gospel when we just tell men, well, you must be born again. Now, men must be born again. Don't mistake me. But preaching the gospel is declaring the good news that God saves sinners through His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Do you repent of your sins and believe that? saying you're going after the Arminians. Well, let's go after the Calvinists. It's not preaching the gospel to say, go figure out if you're the elect. I've seen men get up and preach a glorious sermon and then stop short and say, well, everyone go home and think about it. What a commandment to believe. Believe what I've just said to you. When 
we're not preaching the gospel when we say, well, you know, if you've got the five points figured out, you're saved. No, it's when sinners brought to a clear sense of their lostness repent of their sins and believe on the resurrected Lord of glory that they have hope when they trust in His shed blood. It's not preaching the gospel to say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be circumcised as the Judaizers in Galatia did or believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and take the sacraments and do good deeds and you might be saved as Rome does. Or believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized by us or you won't be saved as some Pentecostals and some Church of Christ members do. It's not preaching the gospel when we say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and speak in tongues or you're not saved as some Charismatics and Pentecostals do. Preaching the gospel is declaring the Evangel, the good news, the truth that God saves repenting, believing sinners through His Holy Son, Jesus Christ, and His glorious grace. It is all of grace and all of Christ. We must become God's mouthpiece regarding His mercy, His grace, and His love, and what He has done to save and preserve sinners in Jesus Christ. When people come before me and ask if they may join the church, when people come and say, may I be baptized, I ask them some questions. No trick ones in there. Plain and simple, I want to hear what you understand. Because the gospel is a message. It's about God. It's about men and their sin. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about repenting and believing. You don't have to give them to me in that order. You don't have to give them to me in flawless theological language. But if you've never seen yourself bad enough for God to damn you, why do you want Jesus Christ? Parents, teach your children the gospel. Because the Lord Jesus Christ said, Repent ye and believe the gospel. Believe into everlasting life. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, 
T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.